Hello there, and welcome back to the Reading Rainbow. We are going to be picking up our segment today by continuing through the Book of Knowledge, in specific, the Book of the United States. We are at the point in time where the land before the white man came, and how the Native Americans were here to settle differences between themselves as tribes. The Native Americans in the eastern part of the United States did not understand the use of metals, so made most of their stuff out of stone, including their weapons and tools. While they made it out of stone, they ornately carved this stuff and made them very beautiful, ensuring that a lot of them would end up as museum pieces in present day. They also wore special shoes called moccasins, which made moving through densely wooded areas almost silent. Though with all of this, their true success lies when things such as horses, cows, sheep, pigs, and chickens were brought to America and traded for native goods grown by the people. We're going to pick up the Eastern Native Americans where they lived in houses instead of tents. Many of the Eastern Indians lived in houses made of bark or branches of trees woven together with skins or clay. Sometimes they lived in the same houses for years, but often they left them when the summer came on and the game moved away. Often several families lived in one home, which was then arranged like a stable and each family occupied a stall. All these families were supposed to be related, but they did not count themselves related on the father's side, but on the mother's. That is, all living in the house said that they were descended from the same woman. Those who were related made up a clan, and the clan was known by the name of an animal, such as the bear, or the wolf, or the turtle. They painted pictures of such an animal, and made an image of wood or stone and called it a totem. The pictures of this animal was often painted on the beasts of men so that it would not come off. A large clan would live in several houses. A number of clans made a tribe, which was sometimes small and sometimes large. From the old men in every clan, a ruler called a sachem was elected, but his son did not always succeed him. The sachems from the clan met together, made rules for the tribe, and punished those who broke them. Each clan elected a war chief, who led the warriors in battle. Some tribes also elected a head war chief. Generally, every tribe was jealous of all other tribes, and was on unfriendly terms with them, if not actually at war. The Native American ideas of religion and of sickness was curious. They worshipped their dead ancestors, the sun, the winds, and the lightning. Since the lightning in the sky looked something like a moving snake, they respected the snake, and many tribes would not kill one. Some of them believed in a great spirit, But they thought also that every man, every hill, tree, lake, and animal also had a spirit. 
Some of these were good and some were bad. Some would help man and some would hurt him. A man was sick because an evil spirit had entered his body. In every tribe were medicine men who were supposed to have power over bad spirits. So they would go into the house or wigwam where the sick man lay and shout, scream, shake a rattle, and say some magic words which they said would drive out the evil spirits. If the man or woman died in spite of the medicine man, the body might be placed high in a tree, where it would be safe from wild beasts. Some tribes built scaffolds and placed the bodies there, while others put the dare dead into huts or caves. Often they buried them in the ground and helped a great mound of earth over them. These mounds sometimes covered many bodies. With the body they sometimes buried weapons, food, and drink, which they thought would be of use in the next world. With a little child a dog was often buried, so that it might have help in finding its way into the spirit world. Squaws, not slaves of men, as you have been told. You have perhaps been told that the Native American woman, who was called a squaw, was a slave of her husband. This is not true. She had her work and he had his. It was the business to chase the game. Sometimes many miles, and it often happened when game was scarce, that the male hunter might be away for days or even weeks. He fought the bears and other wild beasts, and sometimes was dangerously hurt. He would make weapons, and had to be ready at all times to use them. The woman did the work about the home, cultivated the ground, and made the clothes. In short, the man did not work belonging to war and hunting. Sorry, let me correct that. In short, the man did the work belonging to war and hunting. While women had to do with peaceful activities, such as farming, gathering, and rearing the children while caring for the old. When the clan or tribe was moving, the women carried most of the baggage, but the men had to be on guard. For an enemy hidden behind a tree might at any time send an arrow toward them. The Native American seldom spoke crossly to his wife and children, and when they were safe from enemies and there was plenty of food, played games with them. The young men were very fond of games. <clears throat> the game of lacrosse, which you may have seen played, was a Native American game, which our college boys have borrowed. Child Life and Education Among the Native Americans A Native American baby was called a papoose. They had no crib, like the one you used. But as his mother was too busy to hold him in her arms, he might be strapped to a board and hung in a tree, or against a post. When the mother was traveling, she would hang him on her back. When he grew larger, he helped his mother gather sticks for fire or gather berries. He had a little bow and arrows and would learn to shoot if he were a boy. He, taught, he was taught to swim, to run, and to climb. He would learn to track rabbits and to send them an, uh, 
sorry, he would taunt to build traps for them and other small animals. When he grew larger, he was taken on hunting trips and at last to war, but not until he had killed an enemy and taken his scalp was he considered to be really a grown man. The first years of the little Indian girl were spent in much the same way, but instead of learning how to shoot, she learned how to prepare skins for moccasins or for clothing and to sew tents. She learned how to cook and to cultivate the ground, and in some tribes the women wove coarse clothes and made baskets and pottery. She encouraged the boys and young men to be brave and fearless, and would not speak to one who seemed to be afraid of anything. We have spoken several times of the fact that the Native Americans were so often at war. This frequently happened because of the fact that one tribe hunted on the ground that was claimed by another. You think of our country as having been full of natives. This is not true. For when white men came, there were probably not as many Native Americans in the whole of the United States as there are now people living in Boston. Let's recap there. You know... In Native American culture, there were strict differences between men and women. It wasn't a sexist thing. It wasn't a misogynist thing. It was the fact that the male Native American was typically stronger and more agile when it came to hunting. That's not to say no Native American woman ever became a hunter, trapper, or tracker. As the Native American culture died out, mainly through warring with each other, more and more women joined the Braves. Finally, we get to the point that upon European settlers' arrival, in total, there were far less Native Americans alive in the United States of America then there are people who live in Boston, or we could even pick a smaller city these days, such as Atlanta, Georgia. People who have studied this subject say that when the white man came, they were not more than half a million in what is now the United States. That means... that there are now 200 times as many people in the United States as there were 400 years ago. By that logic, if we advance ourselves another 400 years, we are going to be at around 400%. Way too many people. But let's not get into that now. There are not so many Native Americans now as there were 400 years ago, but they have not died out so rapidly as people think. Now, a people who live chiefly by hunting must have a large territory, for game does not stay in one place like cows or sheep.
Sometimes the hunter would go for days without finding anything, or if he did find it, a bow and arrow is not so good a weapon as a gun, and the deer often got away. So in order to get close to it, he had to learn to move quietly and to follow tracks. It is not true that the Native Americans had keener sight than the white men, who had lived the same kind of life. Some of the white scouts and hunters, as we shall learn hereafter, were quite as skillful as the Native Americans. When captives were taken, sometimes they were killed on the spot, but generally they were taken back to the village. Women and children were sparred to help the squaws with their work. Sometimes, young men and boys were adopted into the tribe to take the place of warriors who had fallen in battle. More were tortured in various ways. Sometimes, the captive had fastened to a tree, and the boys and young men threw tomahawks at him, trying to see how near they could come without actually hitting him. But his pride kept him still, for to dodge would have been considered cowardly. Finally, he was sometimes fastened to a stake. Wood would be piled around his feet and set ablaze. As the flames grew hotter, he sang his death song, telling how brave he and his tribe had always been. When the Native Americans captured white men, they tortured them much in the same ways. In the early days of North Carolina, they captured a surveyor named John Lawson, struck his body full of pine splinters, which burned very fast, and then set him on fire. The Native Americans in Canada tortured many of the Jesuit missionaries, who went out to preach to them. Hunters were sometimes tortured if they were captured for dishonoring the land and not using the whole hunt. You will find the names of many Indian tribes as you read the United States history, but I shall give only a few of them now. The Native Americans east of the Rocky Mountains were divided into three great stocks, called the Algonquin, the Huron-Iroquois, and the Muskoki, or the Muskegon. The last lived in the south, and the principal tribes were the Chickasaws, Choctaws, Creeks, and Seminoles. They descended now and lived chiefly in Oklahoma. The Iroquois lived in New York and neighboring states, and the principal tribes were five nations, the Eries and the Hurons, the Cherokees and the Tuscaroras, who lived in Northern Carolina, and Tennessee were also the Iroquois. The Algonquins lived in New England, New Jersey, Maryland, Virginia, and in the region further west. Many tribes belonged to the Algonquins stock. They were seldom so fierce as the Iroquois, though some of them fought the white men to the last, and else moved west. The Delawares, Mohicans, Piquets, and Wampungas were all Algonquins, as are the Cheyennes, the Crees, and the Ottawas. The Five Nations, the most powerful of the Eastern Indians. 
of all the eastern indians the five nations were the most advanced they were so important that they are sometimes called the iroquois as if they alone had the right to the name the tribes were known as the senecas the cayugas the ondagas the oneidas and the mohawks mohicans later when the tuscarosas in northern carolina were defeated by the whites that tribe moved to new york and joined the five nations which were afterward known as the six nations these tribes had settled homes from which they did not move and cultivated more ground than any other native american some of them still live in new york state and in canada in other chapters of the story of the united states we shall read how the native americans and the white men met and shall see that the white men often treated the native americans harshly and how the native americans paid them back some of the native americans boasted that they never forgot a kindness and never forgave an injury we shall see how the white men pushed the native americans back until now some of the indians boasted they never forgot until now they have only a small part of the country and are entirely surrounded by white men some of the indian native americans are citizens of the united states and are making good records we are going to be taking a book from the main encyclopedia book of knowledge volume 1 book of the united states to deep dive into a little bit more of ancient American history through a book by Reader's Digest. This collection of work took years to assemble and deep dives further into American past prior to 1600. History's most surprising encounter perhaps was that between Europeans who followed in the wake of Columbus and the native inhabitants of the New World, the conquering Spaniards viewed the complex, sophisticated Aztec and Inca civilizations with disbelief. Surely these people could not have achieved such cultural heights without outside inspiration. From other Europe early European visitors or trans-Pacific wanderers from Asia, The Native Americans for their part too often regarded the intruders with haughty disdain and paid for their unwariness by falling easy prey to superior technology and clever strategy. The reasons for mu- such misconceptions have puzzled historians for centuries. The answers have been sought in an avalanche of books, pamphlets, and commentaries. We now take a fresh look at this story. Unlike most histories of the New World, this book ends and not begins with Columbus and follows a topical instead of chronological approach. Voyages of Legend, the first of seven major sections, presents the confusing evidence and lingering doubts about pre-Columbian visitors. Egyptians, Phoenicians, Israelites, Welsh, Irish, Japanese, Chinese, and finally the Vikings, who we now know arrived 500 years before Columbus in about 1100 AD. In the search of early man, reviews 
Oh, sorry, that would be about 900 AD. My mistake, 1492. Yeah, 992. Reviews the highly controversial timetable for the arrival of the first Americans from Asia, perhaps 30,000 or more years ago, and outlines their development of hunting and farming skills. As long as 3,000 years ago, we learn in stirrings of New World civilizations, people as far apart as the bayous of the lower Mississippi Valley, the Andean highlands of Peru, and the humid forests of the Gulf of Mexico, were fashioning distinct cultures, two of which, at least, would leave substantial legacies to their successors. The flowering of the Mayan culture in the first millennium AD in the region anthropologists call Mesoamerica, parts of modern-day Mexico and Central American states, and the impressive accomplishments of the Adean, Hopewell, Mississippian peoples of North America over some of the same centuries are described in pyramid makers and mound builders. Some breathtaking achievements of New World peoples are featured in ancient artisans and master builders. Two picture portfolios that serve as showcases for the work of high artistry and astonishing engineering skill. Lost Cities offers in-depth studies of Mexico's Palenque, New Mexico's Pueblo Bonito, Colombia's Piratacá 200, and Peru's Chonchon of gods and men reveals some shocking facts about the Aztec religion and highlights the persistence of ancient mystical beliefs. By no means are the mysteries all solved, the wonders all discovered. Tomorrow's headline can announce a newly discovered Maya tomb or a previously unknown Adean culture, nor are scholars and scientists agreed on the record of the past. For this is a field rife with conflicting evidence and passionate controversy, all of which makes for fascinating reading. Read this book from cover to cover, savor it a chapter at a time, or dip into its profusely illustrated pages at random. You will find amazing stories, startling facts, and enduring puzzles, imaginative solutions wherever you turn. This is history but not as you learned it in school. Sincerely, the editors. Please join us next episode as we delve deeper into ancient American history. Thank you so much for watching and reading The Reading Rainbow with us, even though you may just be listening. We hope you have a wonderful rest of your day and enjoy your time spent with us. We will be glad to be back next episode with Chapter 1 of Ancient Americas.